This Week at Hope Point. I think you probably have come into the, this room today, many of you feeling like today is, is, is a day where I am in the wilderness. God prepares a place for us in the wilderness. The word prepare is, is a beautiful word used in the book of Matthew to describe preparations made for a great feast and a great banquet to occur. So God is very kind and tender to meet us in the wilderness. Life in the wilderness is so hard, but the Bible says God will meet us. Satan's rage can be experienced by any person. He is seeking to devour all of humanity. For a Christian, attacks by Satan are meant to not only devour, but to draw us away from our Creator. God uses all of Satan's tactics against him. He uses them to draw us to himself and prove his faithfulness to his children. Satan's attack is great against us, but God's care will sustain us. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from Revelation chapter 12. It doesn't take a long time of living on earth to begin to ask the question, why? Why is there so much pain in the world? And why is there so much pain in my life? In regard to the world, we could ask questions like, why do leaders from one nation invade an innocent nation and take possession of resources that don't belong to them? Why do people manufacture and sell illegal drugs that they know will kill people who consume them? Why is a culture obsessed with killing babies and mutilating the bodies of children and trying to reverse gender? Why do politicians make so many decisions that benefit themselves when they are put in place by people who are trusting them? We look at questions we could ask for ourselves. Why does my pain increase even though I'm trying to seek God more? Why do I struggle to pay my bills even though I'm working two jobs? Why did my boss overlook me when I worked more hours than other coworkers? Why do I face chronic health problems even though I eat well and exercise regularly? Why did my husband or wife walk away from me? Why did my child reject my love when I sacrificed so much for him or her? Why did my child reject God and join forces with the world that hates our Lord? Why did our growing church suddenly split? Why did our gifted pastor suddenly walk away from ministry? Why can a missionary sacrifice everything and move overseas and give his life and see no results? Why does the preaching about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ bring so much hostility in the world? Why do some of the most devoted Christians battle with depression? And why does despair become so intense for some? It leads them to take their life. I realize that this study in the book of Revelation is intense and requires mentally every single Sunday a great deal from you. But I want you to understand, I'm teaching it the way that God wrote it, and therefore it's an intense book. But it is so because he loves you so much, he wants to address the question of why of why there is so much pain in the world. And he does so dramatically this week in chapter 12. If you read the other 66, 65 books of the Bible and tried to answer the question of why does suffering exist, you could come up with three sort of general answers. The sovereignty of God. He has gloriously good plans that he has, takes us to, but he takes us through them through ordained suffering that we don't understand on earth. 
He's, he's sovereign and this is the way he's worked it out. We live on a cursed earth so that the earth no longer works as it did when it was perfect. It actually can work against us, though it often does work for us. The third reason that we suffer pain on this earth is because the sinful heart of man, people just do cruel things to one another. You do cruel things to people and they do cruel things to you. The fourth reason that we really want to focus on today is why do I hurt is because of the rage of, of Satan. He hates Jesus Christ and hates the worship of Christ from those who gather in the church and live out their faith outside of the church. It's the primary message of Revelation 12, and it will explain a great deal of your suffering. Let me read the first six verses to you. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns, seven crowns on its heads. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1260 days. So chapter 12 is the very center of the book of Revelation. It's the key to understanding the whole book. It's placed here strategically to help you understand why there's so much pain in the world. For chapters 1 through 11, we saw a great deal of pain in the world but chapter 12 takes us behind the scenes to, to teach us that the grand initiator of all the pain in the world is behind the scenes from Satan working through agencies on this earth. And his, uh, his intent of all the pain is to destroy the witness of the church, to stop you from coming, to stop you from serving and giving and growing. He's the grand initiator of all trials and persecutions against the church. In chapter 13, we'll see that he uses two primary agencies, the beast and the false prophet, but chapter 12 says all that happens in terms of persecution, harassment, oppression, you feel is primarily behind the scenes from Satan. Chapter 12 begins with a woman being pursued by a dragon that wants to kill her and kill her child. Chapter 12 ends with the dragon still chasing the woman. So I hope that when you leave today, if somebody asks you, what is the theme of Revelation chapter 12? You'll say a dragon and a woman. There's three primary characters in Revelation chapter 12. The easiest one to identify is the woman's son. So we'll start there. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. This is the briefest presentation of the gospel that you'll ever find in all of scripture. The writer goes all the way from the birth of Jesus, flies past his death and resurrection all the way to Jesus ascending back to his throne in heaven in one single 
verse. The reason why the writer doesn't focus on the suffering of Christ, which you think he might, is because he's already covered that in chapter 5. And what he wants to cover in chapter 12 is not the suffering of Christ, but the suffering of the followers of Christ. Because of their devotion to Christ, they will suffer at the wiles and strategies of, of the evil one. We can further identify who this is talking about in verse 5 because of this Old Testament reference, he will rule the nations with an iron scepter. It takes us all the way back to chapter 2 of the book of Psalms where the Bible describes Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as a king who was rejected by the nations and a king who reigns over the nations. We'll just read it in case you have forgotten what the psalm says. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains. So we see this worldwide rebellion against the, the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who's the rightful king of the world. God responds to the world by telling them what he thinks about his choice for king. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And then God says, and by the way, this king is my son. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And the reward for Jesus obeying the father when he came to earth as Messiah was Jesus will one day be able to rule all of the earth with his power. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. This promise in Psalm chapter 2 verse 9 is the same promise we see in Revelation 12. That's who the son is born to the woman, is the Messiah, the anointed one, Jesus Christ. So Psalm 2 says the, the nations will rebel against the anointed one. Revelation 12 tells us why the nations rebel. And that is because of Satan driving the forces of the nations to rebel against Christ. This is again, over and over again. Revelation 12 says behind the scenes, Satan is causing the rebellion, and the pain. So now we can identify, let's identify who the dragon is, since I've sort of tipped my hand saying that I, we're certain that it's Satan. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. And you say, well, how do you know that's Satan? Well, John tells us that in verse 9 at the bottom of the screen. The great dragon, that ancient serpent, serpent called the devil or Satan. So verse 4, the dragon is identified. Verse 9, he's further identified as a Satan. And his intent was to devour this woman's child. Don't miss the picture here. It's, you say this is, you know, if this was a Hollywood scene, you would see dramatic music playing and this woman is in a birthing room and as she is about to give birth to a child, there's this hissing, salivating dragon right outside of the room ready to eat her baby. You say, well, that's gross. That's horribly grotesque. That is the purpose of the writer here. He wants you to understand what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 44, that the devil is a murderer from the beginning. His only 
purpose in life is that of, 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 of death. John makes it clear in chapter 12, this is no ordinary dragon. An enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Seven heads would be, obviously seven being sort of a number of completion in biblical numerology, apocalyptic literature, so it's really talking about that this dragon is intensely intelligent. He has uh, great knowledge. He also has great influence in the fact seven heads may tell us that there is not one sphere in the world where he doesn't influence. You couldn't go to any place of ground on earth and not feel the temptation of, of sin and Satan. He has 10 horns. We will see this later in the book of Revelation, also in the book of Daniel chapter 7, that Satan, though behind the scenes, works through 10 horns, 10 uh, avenues of the state, 10 government powers, 10 mighty powers that are on earth. And so Satan is behind the scenes, but he works through 10 uh, agencies of of evil. He has crowns on his head because the thing that you see most often in the book of Revelation is that Satan wants to be worshipped as Jesus is worshipped. He's the great imitator. He tells the world over and over again, I am worthy of your worship. And interestingly enough, the majority of the world does worship Satan more than those who worship Jesus. People do see Christ, Satan. People do see Satan in mass. They see him as worthy of devotion more than Jesus. They do believe he is crowned with worth. And then he's, he's described as an enormous red dragon. John goes to the deliberate detail of telling us about his color. Because once again, in apocalyptic literature, red is a symbol of death. In Revelation chapter 6, the second horse that came to inflict torment on earth was a red horse creating bloodshed all over the earth. In Revelation chapter 17, there is an evil woman that opposes the woman of Revelation chapter 12. But in chapter 17, the evil woman is sitting on a red beast and the Bible says she's drunk with the blood of the saints. So red is... In apocalyptic literature, a symbol of hate and anger and death, people were deeply perplexed two weeks ago of why all the, the red with the presidential address in front of the hall in Philadelphia was a very intense, if not creepy, red. I think there was a statement behind the red of the intense fight against that which is righteous. And here his tail is described as being able to fling a third of the stars out of the sky. Now, probably since you and I were raised, uh, you know, a lot of us uh, in the same understanding of the book of Revelation, the, a lot of people go to this particular chapter and say, well, this is the explanation of how demons came to the earth, that Satan swept a third of the angels out 
of heaven and they fell on earth. I think that's reading too much into the text. Um, the Bible is fairly silent on the origin of evil. Uh, it just doesn't tell us much about how evil became. And so I think what it's simply telling us that Satan is extraordinarily influential, extraordinarily powerful, and it compares that to being able to, to sweep a third of the stars out of the sky. So it's, it's 9-11 today, and a few years ago I was in New York City and I went to the 9-11 the, the museum, and I was just thinking about how much power Satan has when I saw this massive steel beam from Tower Number One twisted like Play-Doh. And I thought to myself, amazing that Satan could inspire men to board airplanes, that being the engine of one of the jets, one of the towers. He could inspire men. He could inspire people to fly a plane into a building for the purpose of bringing about death. 3,000 in, 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 in one instance on 9-11. So his tail is powerful. He controls so much of people's behavior on this earth. So now let's identify the woman in Revelation chapter 12. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon, crown of 12 stars on her head. Verse 2, she was pregnant. Verse 5, she gave birth to a son. End of verse 5, that son was caught up to heaven. She's not as easy to identify as you think. When you read those verses, you immediately say, well, that's, that's, that's Richard, I'm way ahead of you on that one. I don't even, not even teaching the book. I know that's Mary. Well, you would be right if you said it's Mary plus. It's Mary and a lot of people other than Mary. Uh, let me be clear, so you don't get me wrong. I'm a huge fan of the mother of Jesus Christ. I love Mary, the mother of our Lord. But unlike my Catholic friends, I do not believe you can use this verse to so elevate her that in heaven we would see her in verse 1 as being worthy to wear a crown of 12 12 stars on her head. So we'll say, who do you think it is? Well, I said it's Mary plus a lot of other people. What I mean by that, I mean the woman in Revelation 12 is the entire messianic community. Everybody that is involved in the Bible in bringing about the birth of Christ is part of the woman of Revelation 12. All of the Old Testament believers that were part of waiting for Christ, all of the New Testament believers that have taken his name and message around the world, all of them are part of the woman that's mentioned in Revelation 12. You say, well, how do you know that? A couple ways, why I go with that interpretation, is because, number one is because of what happens to her after the birth of Jesus. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared to her, for her, 
prepared for her by God where she would be taken care of 1,260 days. The dragon pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child and the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So the woman in Revelation 12 is pursued by the dragon, but it's not she did not just give birth to Jesus. The woman in Revelation chapter 12 gave birth to the followers of Christ as well. So I, again, I think the, the dragon is pursuing everybody who's been a part of the messianic community of bringing Jesus Christ into the world, especially these are the New Testament followers of Christ. But I think you can see her in the Old Testament as well. Look, look, at, how she is, look at how she is described here. She has a, she's clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. When you read that verse, you say, I think I've seen that somewhere in the, in the Old Testament, a description of this very person. Well, you would be right because in Genesis chapter 37, we are introduced to a man named Joseph and his 11 brothers who went, up, who went on to become the nation of Israel and the 12 tribes of Israel. And Genesis 37 talks about the day that he had a dream about what great things God would do in his life. Verse five, Joseph had a dream and then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. So he's telling this story and the implication is that his brothers are the 11 stars. He's one, making it the 12th and the sun and the moon would be his parents. And he has this dream and nobody as a family thinks it's a very cool dream at all because they're saying, or you, well, read it. They said, you tell us we're gonna bow down to you? When he told this to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you've had? Will your mother and I actually and your brothers come down and bow down to the ground before you? And the answer is yes. Because if you remember, they became jealous after this dream and they sold him as a slave. He ended up in Egypt and by God's providence, he was promoted to vice president over food distribution during a famine. And when his brothers were starving to death, they moved to Egypt they hadn't seen Joseph in 13 years and they went to him and they bowed down before this vice president and said, will you save our lives? Exactly as the dream said. So why does John include that story in Revelation 12, taking us back to Genesis 37? Because he wants us to understand that the woman who gave birth to the Messiah goes all the way back to the nation of Israel. The 12 tribes, if they had died in the famine, in Genesis, there would have been no Messiah. So even in Genesis 37, when the brothers out of jealousy tried to sell Joseph, Satan was behind their work, trying to kill him so the nation of Israel would die. And God used their evil for good and kept the nation alive. Well, actually, it even goes farther back the woman goes farther back than Israel. You remember in the early days of the Bible, Adam and Eve in the garden, who came to tempt Eve to disobey God? Now the serpent 
was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So just like Satan always does, is this really going to be a big deal? And she fell to his persuasion because of what Revelation says about this serpent. The great dragon, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, leads the whole world astray. So he's been doing that from the beginning, and he was in the garden. That serpent that tempted Eve was trying to destroy the Messiah coming into the world even from the beginning of time. And so we read in in Genesis 3, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, you will crawl on your belly, and look what happens with the woman and the dragon. And I will put enmity, hostility, war between you and the woman and between your offspring and and hers. So here is the great prediction in Genesis 3, the third chapter of the Bible, that throughout all of the Old Testament, there would be a war between the woman and the dragon until the woman was able to give birth to Jesus Christ in, as we read in Revelation chapter 12. Why is it, why is it important to know that, that, that the woman goes all the way back to Genesis 3? Because you are part of the woman. And if you want to know, why does my life hurt today? Because before Jesus was born, the woman was persecuted by the dragon. And anybody who looks to Christ is part of her. Persecuted in the Old Testament. And after Jesus was born, anybody who's part of the woman is persecuted in the New Testament. The dragon for all of history has been trying to stop the woman from giving birth to the message and hope of Jesus Christ. And that includes you. And this is why life is painful. This is why life hurts. This is why you feel like quitting. If you're a follower of Christ, you are part of the woman. That the dragon is pursuing. And the attempt by the dragon to destroy the plan of God was obviously most intense right when Jesus was born and served on earth for 33 years. Look at this. The dragon pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And just look at the attempt of Satan to stop this birth from having its purpose fulfilled. Look at the ways that Satan, the dragon, came after the child born to Mary. King Herod slaughtered the infants at Bethlehem trying to get to Christ. Satan tempted Jesus in the wilderness, promising him the world if he would say no to the cross. The crowd in Nazareth tried to throw Jesus off a cliff. Peter said, Jesus, you should avoid the cross. There's another way. And then the crowds wanting to make Jesus king instead of a crucified Messiah. And then, of course, the crucifixion where Satan pulled out all the stops to try to torment Jesus. And, of course, he failed, as we saw in the first A minute ago, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour the child. This is is all the birth and the life of Christ. And the child was snatched up to God and to his throne. There's the victory. There's the victory that settled everything. Jesus was obedient from his birth, through his life, through the temptations, through the persecutions, through the cross, all the way back to his reign 
next to God in heaven. He has prevailed. And so now, Revelation chapter 12 describes the rage of Satan with all those who are part of the woman who are now trying to witness this blessed hope of Christ around the world. This is the story of Revelation 12. The rage of the dragon against the church who gives witness to the Messiah. Maybe we can summarize everything we said with this, with this quote. There are many things that cause suffering in this world, but the pain that most powerfully tempts Christians to quit following Jesus comes from the rage of Satan. As Kevin DeYoung says, Satan is hell-bent on destroying the church. And the church would be destroyed were it not for one detail in verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of 1260 days. It's amazing when you read the Bible of how many times God's people had to flee to the wilderness and God took care of them. In Exodus chapter 2, Moses fled for his life into the wilderness and there was God taking care of him, really for 40 years. Israel chased by Egypt into the wilderness and there God took care of them for 40 years. And Elijah chased by Jezebel into the wilderness and God so loved him, even sent birds to bring him food every morning. So again, I want you to understand the dragon has been pursuing the woman, chasing her into the wilderness from the beginning of time. And God, the whole time, has been preparing a place for her in the wilderness. I want to tell you that wilderness living is not easy, and I would say that the statement I could most accurately, if I've ever made a statement to anybody in this, in, in, in this building, is probably, I think you probably have come into the, this room today, many of you feeling like today is, is, is a day where I am in the wilderness. Wilderness living is, yes, God prepares a place for us in the wilderness. The word prepare is, is a beautiful word used in the book of Matthew to describe preparations made for a great feast and a great banquet to occur. So God is very kind and tender to meet us in the wilderness. But make no mistake, life in the wilderness is painful. The Bible says, if you read the Old Testament, there are, there are beasts that are in the wilderness. There are dark forces in the wilderness. Revelation chapter 17 says, the woman, the harlot, that rides on the beast, lives in the wilderness. Life in the wilderness is so hard. But the Bible says God will meet us and prepare what we need to live, survive in the wilderness. I'll say more about that later. But now I want to ask a question of how long is God, how long will he provide for you in the wilderness? Well, he tells us. For 1,260 days. Oh, there we go again. John just loves that number, doesn't he? We saw that in Revelation chapter 11. We'll see it a total of four times in the book. Um, and it's, it's mentioned three different ways. And John loves this mystery of this number of how long God can, takes care of his people. 
Revelation 11.2 said 42 months. Obviously, that's 1,260 days if you divide a 30-day month. It's 1260 divided by 30 is 42. Then 1260, what we saw today. And then in 1214, he says that he calls it another thing. Time, which would be one year, times, two years, half time, three and a half years. So in in three different ways, on four occasions in the book of Revelation, God says when the dragon chases you, the woman, into the wilderness, he's going to provide for you for three and a half years. You say, why does he choose that? Why is it 42 months? Well, this is guessing time, okay? And I told you, if you're teaching, you, you get to guess. I'm teaching, I get to guess. <laughs> if you read the book of Numbers and see that for the whole time that Israel lived in the wilderness, the book of Numbers says they had 42 different encampments. 42 different times they picked up their tents and moved to a new place. Maybe that's the 42. Maybe. Three and a half years. Why would he go with that? I think it's obvious everybody who got this book 21 centuries ago knew exactly what he did. Oh, yeah, yeah, three and a half years. Yeah, I know that. You said, why, how, why, why? Why would it be so obvious? Because if I said to you today, especially on this day, if I said to you the three numbers, if I said to you 9-11, Do I have to explain to anybody here what that means? Planes, falling towers, burning Pentagon, 3,000 deaths. Nobody ever has to explain three numbers, 9-11. Maybe 2,000 years from now, though, if somebody were reading our newspaper or reading something and said, man, everybody gathered today in New York City for 9-1-1, were they calling an emergency? I'm just saying 2,000 years from now, maybe 9-11 doesn't make as much sense to people who know nothing about our civilization. But for us, you say one little three-number thing, 9-11, and it says a day of catastrophe. It's a day where the world changed. It's a day where we started using the word terrorism, though we hardly even knew the word before. Now we know exactly what you mean by 9-11. People in this day They knew when John talked about three and a half years, it meant something to them about a time of overwhelming oppression. Here's my guess, what I think three and a half years meant. Alexander the Great, probably the world's greatest conqueror in terms of land mass that he owned. When he died, his kingdom was divided into was given to four of his generals. One of them was named Antiochus Epiphanes IV. He hated the Jews. He set up a statue of Zeus in the temple where God was worshipped. He burned all the copies of the Torah, the Old Testament Bible. If anybody claimed to be a part of the Levitical priest, he killed them. And the worst thing he did was on the very temple sacrifice, altar where God was worshipped and sacrifices were made to God through the blood of lambs and bulls. Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig to mock the Jews and their God. 
Well, this went on for several years. And as is often the case, when cultural calamity happens, most men are silent, frightened, cowardly. But then there's like one, and you go, how does he get it? Most wait for someone else to act. A man named Judas Maccabeus or Judah from the Maccabees developed a plan to fight Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And it was a wild plan. Antiochus was head, he was a Greek leader, head of the Seleucid Empire, Syria, Lebanon. The strongest, mightiest army outside of Rome at this time, using the same phalanx uh, fighting method that Alexander the Great did, terrorizing their enemies by all the men, marching in mass across the field, just trampling over their enemies. So what Judas Maccabeus did, he said, I can't defeat the entire army, but if I can divide them up, I can attack the end of the army, I can attack the beginning of the army, I can attack the middle of the army. He divided them up and he was the originator of guerrilla warfare. His methods were so successful that they are still studied today at West Point. There's a statue of Judas Maccabeus in West Point today because of his origination of guerrilla warfare and his defeat of Antiochus Epiphanes. So from the time that Antiochus invaded Jerusalem to the time that he was defeated by Judas Maccabeus was three and a half years. And so when the early church just thought about any sort of mass evil oppressing the people of God, they thought in terms of three and a half. It was just a term like 9-11. Whether I'm right about that or not, I think we can assume three and a half meant something to them. It was a term that they said this is a period of oppression. And in the book of Revelation, the Bible says that period of oppression against the church lasts until Mary gave birth and the Messianic community gave birth to Jesus all the way until his return. The 1260 days, the 42 months, the three and a half years is now. You say, well, what do I do with all of this? Why do I come to church to hear all of this? Well, it helps you understand the battle. You're in the greatest battle of history, a cosmic battle. God has chosen you to be a part of that, to be a part of the messianic community that proclaims the hope of Jesus Christ to the hopeless people around the world. Like this quote from G.K. Bill, when Christians understand that behind their earthly persecutors stands the devil and his agents. They should be motivated to persevere all the more. God has not abandoned you. He's not picking on you. He's not working against you. He's called you into battle, and this is the battle where you are part of the Messiah community, the woman that gives birth to the message of Christ around the world. Drilling water wells, feeding orphans, proclaiming Christ in slums where there is no hope but the next life. We tell people about Jesus, rescuing them from false gods and dark behaviors and guilt. And Jesus is proclaimed through you, the woman, and the dragon hates. 
the message that's coming out of your mouth and persecutes you just as he did Mary and all those who came before her. So today I want you to sort of picture what's going on behind the scenes. Like you're on a stage today. Dark. You feel alone. There's no other actors with you on stage to give you a cue for your next line. You look to the audience and they're quiet. Nobody applauding you. You just feel alone. And so what I want to ask you today, how do you get your next line out? How do you serve God? How do you worship your own stage? You need need to understand what's going on behind the scenes. The reason that you feel this urge to quit is because the greatest, strongest enemy of righteousness is behind the scenes urging you, urging you to quit. And if you quit, it will be because you have listened to his voice. The motivation to stay in the battle, to stay on stage, is to know who it is that's urging you to quit. So, so many people decide in the middle of the silent stage, I'm going to walk off the stage. I'm just going to go sit in the audience with the other people who've quit on God. Or I might go to another theater where it's more fun, more entertaining, more funny. And they give up on the purposes of God because of what's happening behind the scenes. The dragon whispering for you to quit on God. So don't quit on God. Revelation 12, 6, the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared her for her by God where she might be taken care of. Would you pray with me? We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.